Hello and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name is Shane Brennan, and I'm Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. This edition is the latest in a little mini-series of recorded conversations and discussions that we held at the live exhibition for UK Cold Chain Operators, the TCS&D exhibition in Peterborough, United Kingdom, on the 7th and 8th of September 2021. Over the course of those two days, we had a series of discussions that reflected on how the cold chain had coped with the pandemic and talked about what we've learned about ourselves and how we face into the challenges and opportunities of the next phase of the development of the cold chain within the United Kingdom. This conversation is no different. The specific episode I'm bringing you now is a conversation with Michael Kane. No, not that one. Michael Kane, the strategy director of Marshall's Fleet Solutions. Now, usually in this podcast, I would be bringing you an interview with someone who runs a cold chain business, a warehouse operation or transport operation, or those two things combined. Michael is in the senior leadership team of a business that provides equipment and maintenance services to the fleets that are on the road. What's absolutely clear to anyone working in our industry is that businesses like Marshall's are just as critical to the operation of cold chain, of getting food onto out and through the supply chain, getting pharmaceuticals to, to where they need to be. And so it was really great to get Michael's perspective. Marshall's Fleet Solutions, which Michael will tell you a lot more about in a moment, is an institution in our industry, a British business success story with experience in the aviation industry and across automotive, but with specifically within the cold chain, a business that many, many operators rely on week in, week out, and have done so for many years. They're also uniquely placed to provide commentary on some of the key challenges that we face in the cold chain and how we're going to face into those with the equipment we need, the transition we need to make in some of our operations, and some of the timeframes that will be involved in doing that. And Michael has some really fascinating things to tell you about that. So I'm not going to hold it up any longer. I'm going to bring you straight into the, to, to the live conversation. But before I do, I'm going to remind you of the importance of subscribing to the Cold Train podcast on whatever pl platform you use to get your podcast, and please leave us a review. So please now enjoy our, my conversation with Michael Kane. Okay, we're on to the next session on the Cold Chain Federation stage. So come and join us. We're now going into um, some live recordings of the Cold Chain podcast. Now, if you're not subscribed to the Cold Chain podcast, what, where have you been for the last year and a half? You know, 25 episodes now, 3,000 listens. That, those Peter Crouch guys and, uh, and that are really, really, really worrying. Um, so what we're going to do, so basically, obviously, we're recording this here live in, in the TCS&D show. But we're also uh, going to be obviously recording this and we'll be sharing it um, via the network um, afterwards. Um, the point of the Cold Chain podcast is to get to know some of the key people in the industry. You know, I think you know, the whole point of the, the format is to, is to just ask someone about them, how they've got to where they, where, they, where they are, and how that influences how they see the next phase of what we're all about. Because I think as we've talked out throughout the morning this morning, we've, we've talked about the, um, the big challenges, you know, the big challenges we've been through, the big challenges that are coming. And it's the people that are in the leadership positions in this industry that are going to be solving that problem. So that's why... Um, I think the Cold Chain podcast is really worth doing. It's a bit of a self-indulgence. I love having these conversations with people. Um, but I also think it's a great way to, uh, to get under the skin of some of the issues. So, 
preamble uh, out of the way. I'm delighted to introduce Michael Kane from Marshall Fleet Solutions. Thank you, Shane. Um, and I'm really grateful to you for giving us the time and talking to us today. For the next half an hour, I'm just going to talk a little bit about your experience in the industry and, um, and how you see the, see, see the world from here. So the best way to start all of that is to say, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you've, what you do now and how you've come to, into the role? Thank you, Shane. Yeah, Michael Kane. Um, I'm strategy director at, uh, at Marshall Fleet Solutions. I've worked, as, as um, many of the people listening will know, in this industry all my working life. Um, I followed my father. So 15 years? Uh, yeah, it's about yeah, 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just coming up on my 35th birthday. Um, so I followed my father into the industry, and that, that was it. I, I slept, walked in, and it's, it's been uh, uh, my entire, work, uh, entire working life. And I think that um, where we are now and having discussions like this are quite uh, significant because we're in such a period of change. When I look back at all these years and especially an uh, uh, event like today when you see a lot of old faces that have also been around a long time, that's, uh, it's a good point for reflection. I think it's one of, that's one of the things about the temperature control storage and distribution industry is yeah. that there is a lot of dynamic change happening right now, but actually it is still a core of people that have been doing this for a very long time. Okay, so, um, so yeah, so the, um, so, so that's the, the our industry is an industry that's, that's populated by people with lots of experience, but also a lot of, a lot of new entrants. The Culture Chain podcast doesn't just have people listening to it that are from the industry, so can you just say a little bit yeah. about what Marshall Street Solutions does as a business and how you fit into the, the world or the operation of Cold Chain? Absolutely. We're um, Marshall Fleet Solutions, part of the Marshall, uh, Marshall Group. So Marshall Group, uh, wider known for aerospace and defence, uh, vehicle automotive. And um, specific to Fleet Solutions, we're essentially a service provider to the uh, temperature control uh, and logistics industry. A proud Thermaking dealer since 1972. Uh, we have around 250 mobile service engineers and uh, five depot locations throughout the, uh, throughout the UK. Um, we are, a, um, first and foremost, a Thermaking dealer, um, a refrigeration, uh, refrigeration uh, machine dealer, and the support and the, and the service of that. And then the ancillary uh, elements, products and services that, that, that come around that. So, for instance, we have a very um, buoyant tail lift uh, division within Marshall Fleet Solutions. Um, but we also touch uh, fleet management where we look after the everything from a broken indicator lens all the way up through. Uh, that's a very, again, that's another niche, uh, niche part of the industry. But our, our core is a, is a service provider for the temperature control. And that's Work, working across sorry. all the customers in the industry, so whether it's large multinational businesses right the way through to single site. Uh, Operations and single, single, single vehicle operations. Absolutely, from a single van user right up to to, to multi fleets, and also uh, w what's really uh, uh, um, particular for us is that whilst we we are a proud Thermaking uh, uh, um, uh, distributor, <laughs> fleets are mixed. You know, this this the whole industry here has uh, has gone. Uh, uh, you'll see fashions come change. A uh, particular fleet engineer or procurement will favour one, and we end up with uh, with mixed fleets. If you look back, maybe uh, over the past 30 years, acquisition's been really, really key in this sector. So food services, I think you can all remember, uh, maybe 10 companies become become one. And from that, I think you will find um, 
maybe there were more historic trends years ago. I followed my father into this industry, as I know, and but back then you'd meet somebody that was a, uh, a, 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 a logistics or a, a haulier, and they might favour uh, Volvo and a particular body in a particular fridge, and then opposite. Uh, directly opposite there would be another company and they would favour Scania and a, and, a, and a particular body. And of course then you come along as, as company C and acquire companies A and B and then you're a mixed fleet. And I think that's, that's quite key for where we are, yeah. you know, uh, particularly as we, we look at um, now the explosion in last mile. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll touch on that a, 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 again in a bit. And, uh, and, uh, and of course the consequent uh, increase in, in distribution from that. So yeah. that's where we fit really, really well. I've captured a thought, and I was dangerous with uh, digressing in these conversations. I'm going to ask you about it later, but it's really about that. As, these, as the businesses that are buying fleet and running fleet get bigger, are they better buyers or worse buyers than, than, than small operators? But I'll ask you that later rather than now. But yeah, not when some of them are actually looking. So. I know, they're all watching. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I've got to pin you down. No, um, can I ask you a bit about the pandemic? We talked about it this morning in, on the platform about yeah. the way the the cold storage operators, the drivers, the back office functions all cope with the pandemic. Now, we're very aware, and I'm very aware, the Culture Federation was talking to companies like yourselves as well during that time about your work, your teams out, out working through the pandemic. How did yeah. you cope as a business and how did you adapt to the, to the pandemic world last year? I think uh, probably initially, like everybody else, absolute blind panic. This was like nothing anybody had ever seen. I would say in terms of uh, uh, crisis to... Uh, this particular industry I only can really think of as 2008 being fairly significant um, and that had that had big ramifications so there was no rule book for this yeah you know and we're a, a, a primarily a, as I said before we're a service industry that's seven days a week and 24 hours a day now what did happen in the first instances of food services as we know very sadly was hit really really hard yeah a really hard blow and effectively that's a that's a, a large percentage of our market that that, that disappeared yeah. o overnight um, however the uh, people still need to eat and pe people still need to be medicated and and therefore the uh, all other sides of our business rocketed to to keep vehicles uh, match fit to keep vehicles on the road and to get uh, to maximize uptime so so we did see uh, a significant rise you know, and this this brings uh, this brings its own own problems. You know, we, we're we're operating in, uh, and it's not just for marshals; yeah. it's also for uh, for everybody in the industry. You're having to deal, or, or engineers are having to deal on the front line with um, really really difficult circumstances, and and in a lot of cases, knife and fork their way through uh, uh, knife and fork their way through it. Um, but we learned an awful lot, and that time seems to uh, what's now become a normal working practice has has, has, has it's just born out, was born out of necessity. So, are there things you could point to that you now do as a, a, and are going to stay with you as operational uh, ways of working that you weren't doing before the pandemic hit? Well, I think one of the uh, one of the biggest drivers is probably the skill set drain. Yeah. Okay. So as you squeeze more work into uh, less hours uh, and that continues, th th this becomes, uh, again, I'll go to the, the last mile explosion that we see. This needs supporting. This industry doesn't happen on, it, on its own. You know? um, and I think that a lot of uh, uh, the workforce, this is, this is quite um, a big eye-opener for us during this time, 
of the ageing workforce of engineers, for example. Yeah. So we're asking people that are, uh, in a lot of cases, at the end of their working life to work really hard in new constraints uh, and, 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 and go through new protocols. So um, we accelerated our apprenticeship programme. That's, that's one thing that we, we tackled uh, head on. And um, it's something that we wanted to do. And, and I think that the, the, uh, um, the pandemic really you, accelerated can, this for us. Can you give me an idea of how many new people you need to bring on board in a year to, to, to stay normal and meet your growth objectives and whatever else uh, your business? I think that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. And the answer is uh, less than, we can bring on less than is, is required. Yeah. And I don't think the answer stays with us either. I think it has to be an industry-wide uh, industry thing. But we can only try and uh, lead by example. Um, obviously, this, this comes around again, and I guess maybe in a little while we're going to be talking about the environmental impacts. And, yeah. of course, it, things come back to cost. Um, so we've been lucky enough to uh, successfully put 10 apprentices on uh, this year. But in answer to your question, Shane, that's not enough. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think this is something that the rest of the industry would probably, uh, would probably share, that we, it, we need to address it. We're not attracting, uh, 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 you know... Do you, uh, bright do, young things to this industry. I, I think th things that, the, that really strike me, what you just said, is, you know, we talk a lot, and, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to media inquiries, uh, you know, texts on the phone, whatever, you know, talk to us about the shortage, talk about the driver shortage, talk about the ageing workforce, and we think about it in terms of drivers and warehouse operators, but, of course, but it, it applies wider than that. And, yeah. the, and, and, and I guess, um, do you, and one of the questions in the conversation, I don't think we're having enough yet, I don't know, tell me if it's not an area you, what you talk about, is does the nature of the work itself have to change? Do, 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 you know, do the hours, the lifestyle requirements, the, the distances travelled, all these things need to change? Or is it just about going out there and selling the job better to people that, 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 could, that just don't have lost track of this being a, a job they could do? Uh, again, that's a really good point. And I think uh, all of the above. <laughs> However, um, you know, th things evolve. And there are working practices that probably happened when I did first come into the industry that we just look back in, in, in horror. And that, that goes across all sorts, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, you know, health, health and safety does become, become paramount. Uh, again, personal safety from, from, from uh, the pandemic and, yeah. and those operating practices, they introduce another, another tier. And, of course, when we introduce tiers and we have to do, introduce new working practices because these are not the norm there there's usually cost yeah. and it's a difficult balance you know yeah. this has to be paid for but this is an industry problem yeah it's an industry-wide problem and i guess i think we'll move on now to talk about the stuff but i think the thing we have to capture is and i remember at the time i was very very acutely aware of it at the time because people like yourselves are talking to me about it the key workers in the support staff the teams the, the, you know, the thank you have to thank the people yeah. who are out on the road in march and april of last yeah. year fixing vehicles, running maintenance programs, keeping the show on the road, because much as we, 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 sort of, we were clapping, quite rightly, the HS workers, yeah, everything absolutely. Else, we were clapping the warehouse operators and the shop staff, we were also clapping those that were the engineers that were, that were keeping the, the operation going as well. Absolutely, we're immensely proud, yeah. and, 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 the, and the apprenticeships are, are building on that, yeah. on that pride. So, talk a bit more about yourself and the business. Obviously, Marshalls is, well, you're in three or four years now into new leadership, aren't you? Um, we are. And, and, it's actually, and I think it's been a period of significant growth and 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 and, and, and uh, getting the show on the road for you guys so how's, how's that experience been uh, it, it's been yeah, we could have done without the past 18 months yeah. in that to be, to be fair but it, it has played its part yeah. um it's it's evaporated that three the the three three years yeah. I, I think i'm uh, three years of january yeah 
Um, there's a completely uh, new team in there that complement some very, very uh, uh, good knowledge base, good skill sets. It's a very, very established company and for a variety of reasons uh, had lost its way over time. Uh, but there's been a willingness from both the people working within and from outside. There's been a great willingness from the, from the customer base in the market. You know, this industry, from all the things we've just started talking about, needs a good service provider, a nationwide service provider. Um, so I, I think we're, we've still got work to do. It's, it's still got a ground under repair uh, 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 flag on it, but we're... Uh, but we're I, think, right I think I know from my experience, and obviously I'm... A, I'm two or three steps removed from your, your day-to-day, but I can see for myself from talking to your customers and others how, how you guys are, that momentum you have around the positive, positivity of your, of your activities. I, I think so. I, it, it, there's a good drive, and, and, and we referred at the, at the beginning, I mentioned the 2008, then the pandemic, and now a chance to reflect, and I think this is a really, really exciting time, yeah. and it's an exciting time because there are so many things we've talked about, staff shortages, whether it's drivers or it's engineers. We've talked about working practices. You know, we haven't mentioned the, the huge one, the environmental impact. And that I'm coming affects, on to it, don't worry. That, and and, that's, and that's, that's the biggest driver. So this now, for, for everybody, and particularly looking, looking around here, you know, people are having to take this on board. Now, it's not... It's not a nice-to-have option. It's like it's must-have, and a variety of those. So, if we're, we're going to talk about that, yeah. So, so let, let that, that's the natural segue into into that conversation, which is the we'll, we'll talk about sort of for the second half, which is so obviously the environment, the, the external pressures on transport refrigeration are pretty obvious now. You know, the yeah. red diesel thing hung over there for a few years, for a long number yep. of years. Will they, won't they? Well, they did. They did it in, April, in March 2020. They told us we're getting red diesel in 2022. And that's probably the single biggest example of the pressure that the operators are under for the performance of their vehicles. How do you sort of see the marketplace today? Are, are we in a position where we are ready to transition out of diesel refrigeration? Or what's the sort of time frames you think are realistic for that kind of thing? Absolutely, I don't think we are. Look, and, you know, maybe if we were, I wouldn't have a job. So yeah. my job is to look for, uh, for the future and the new products and the new services yeah. and to where we go and what that might look like for us yeah. as a company. Um, what I like uh, is that the industry are, are addressing all of the options. Now, uh, when we talk about last mile, um, those options are growing really quickly, yeah. uh, 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 day by day, and, 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 and well represented here, and uh, represented now outside of R&D. These are these are live products that actually exist. So I'm, I'm really. Are you, are you talking driverless? Uh, sorry, engineless? Are you talking literally uh, electric and electric? And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, uh, uh, electric driverless is just a. For me, just sorry, a step no, two. I didn't mean drivers. I meant engineers. <laughs> okay. uh, sorry, I mean, I mean, I mean yeah, electric. I mean, drive, yes. yeah. So if if we look at um, uh, the, the the EV last mile market is exploding, and we're everybody is learning an awful lot. I think there's a there's a long way to go, but this is a really good platform to to start from. As you start to to to, to go up uh, uh, through the vehicle weights, things become a little more challenging. So they're challenging for vehicles because we're looking at powering, instead of powering uh, uh, one or two tonne, we're powering 40 tonne. Um, and from, from Marshall perspective, that uh, um, 
the refrigeration is a real power-hungry application. You know, it is the worst. It, you know, I'd say everybody at home could look at the one biggest offender at home will be their, uh, usually their refrigeration or their air conditioning. Uh, and that's the same for, uh, for road transport. So, so can, you, can, you help me with, can you help me with that? This is, this is sort of the, I get to ask the naive questions. Um, how, how much more complexity does the refrigeration element add to the operation of a, an LCV or a, or a small rigid? Um, you know, is it really a big factor in the, in, in the decision-making around whether to transition to that? I, I think it is a big factor for any LCV manufacturer talking on their, yeah. beha- yeah. on their behalf. They don't want to see us turning up, right. trying to, trying to, trying to uh, add weight and, uh, and, and, and power drain. And I think... Um, but there is a... Um, it is a, such an explosive part of the market, a growing part of the market... Uh, that the EV manufacturers uh, and, and, and the likes of ourselves have got to work together. And um, we have formed Marshall Renewables, so another thing to come out of this was to form Marshall Renewables to, to deal with this specifically, to take this to one side of our, of our core uh, service activity and look at how can we solve the problem of maximising refrigeration in a high-usage position and not use uh, 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 energy from, uh, from the vehicle. Um, from, from twofold, for, so from fossil fuel vehicles, uh, uh, from, from engine wear, and uh, also from, from uh, electric vehicle, because there are, there are power issues, range issues with electric vehicles. And I mean, we were talking about it this morning, it came through this, you know, it's very important to not think of the transition as just an equipment problem, because the equipment is yeah. obviously a key part of it, but you've got to start from a business approach mentality, an understanding of how you're going to run and use different things. From the point of view of Marshall's Renewables, how do you help customers to decide how they start going down this sort of road, starting to challenge some of their probably well-worn and well-established and well-experienced sort of how they use kit and what kit they buy and how they, how they do it? Uh, that's great, because I think this is, this is where we are finding our, our best fit, is that I don't think we could probably have a queue of, uh, uh, of people here to give their, their same opinion that there isn't a defined path to the answer to fossil fuel. There are a variety. A lot of the alternatives, whether you're choosing gas, you're choosing electric, you choose HVO, I'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, there are plus minus for all of these things and they fit some operations uh, better than others. Also, you find, dependent upon the infrastructure of the, uh, of the user, of the operator, they might have uh, 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 an application that's suited for, for the north better or for the east uh, better, uh, and they might use more than one answer, and I think that's where we come in. So we've developed a, uh, a solar kinetic uh, uh, platform. Okay. Um, this is both for LCV and uh, for, for trailer. Okay. And the, uh, there are solar applications out there, yeah. and uh, solar applications work very well but not quite enough. And so solar kinetic means solar and axle? Yes, yeah, so, so uh, solar actually and regen energy, regen, so regen. KERS. Uh, okay. uh, so this is a kinetic energy recovery system. Yeah. People will have seen it in, in Formula One. But we take wasted energy uh, under braking or under resistance, convert that into electrical stored energy in a, uh, a lightweight lithium-ion battery, and then we power the uh, fridge. Uh, with and... Some and, 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 and by power of fridge, you mean power a percentage of the amount of, of the power of the fridge or the whole fridge? Ah, we're powering the, powering the whole fridge. And, you know, you get... 
different applications can take different elements out of this. Yeah. So there is a, uh, you could say, argue that for, for all refrigeration manufacturers, most of them have got a standby facility so they could plug in. They couldn't all plug in tomorrow. You know, yeah, yeah. some some people can't even plug in ten no. percent of their fleet. Yeah, you know, so yeah. This is a real issue. So using solar kinetic energy is the best way to use traction and to use solar uh, to allow for refrigeration in times when it can't be plugged in, and you can't. Well, key out system, for example, high street deliveries to have for, for, for again going back to the last mile growth. Uh, being able to have total refrigeration at the, at the, in, a, in a high street with, with the vehicle off, uh, um, you know, without a key-out system is, is, is a real, real bonus. It's the sort of thing that if you're not thinking about it because of the regulatory pressures you're going to be under, you should be. Because, you know, we, every, even though, I, you know, you can point to certain cities that are already aware of refrigeration as an yeah. issue, they're all going to be within five years. So you need to be aware of that. Absolutely they are, and this is why the renewables, uh, uh, for us, we didn't leave it just with the, the solar kinetic system. We've also added an HVO fuel, uh, a, a um, fantastic CO2 uh, uh, reducing uh, fuel, 90% uh, decrease in CO2 emissions. Obviously, you know, in our, our industry... So, so the HVO solution, is that just the same technology as your advances and others using HVO or is it about adapting the equipment to be able to cope with it? No, the, this, is the, this is the benefit that, that, uh, that we've got with, uh, with our HVO which is Green D, uh, Green D Plus. Yeah. Um, we're in partnership with the, the distributor New Era and we have looked, they came to us because uh, HVO has been used extensively within the constru uh, construction industry within LEZs. So, they, so the construction industry has been working under tough constraints for quite a long time. Um, and HVO has great uh, uh, stand-alone, well, I don't know what the term is, Shane, actually. It can stay in, its, in a storage container for, forever without yeah, yeah, deteriorating yeah. Uh, because they would be used on, on, on site. And, and, and so we were approached by them because of our position in the uh, 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 temperature control uh, marketplace. Um, because essentially we are standalone, we're standalone power, in, uh, certainly for a trailer, and I'm looking over your shoulder at a trailer over there, yeah. as one we made earlier. Yeah. Um, now, this, this, this now allows, with, with HVO added to solar kinetic, a, a totally clean solution. But that's on day one. This is things you can start doing now. But I appreciate people who've still got gas trucks, you know that there is still a, a, a multitude of options. That, that point about mixed fleet and understanding how to manage yeah. mixed fleet is a key part of that of that journey. So, can we just sort of talk about that element of it? I mean, you know, we we we, we as the federation will continue to talk to you and, sh and showcase some of the products that you're putting into market. And please come talk to yourself. If people are listening to this podcast. Please talk to yourself and the team either here at the show or or, or subsequently about about the products. How do you how do you see probably the thing that sort of preoccupies my mind more than any other sitting as I do as Chief of the Federation is how do you get business leaders and businesses to embrace the transition and how do you how do we support them through that transition what are the, the levers that need to be pressed and, all that? and, and, it's, a, and it's ultimately a, a combination of carrots and sticks and much yeah. as we're going to try and fight the sticks it's a tortured metaphor <laughs> um, um, we're basically from a point because that's our job there is going to be that there is a red diesel for example 
how do you sort of see the, in your experience of the work you're doing with your uh, Marshalls Renewables and, and other things, how are you helping business owners to, to understand that transition and have a plan for that transition? Uh, and th this comes back to, uh, I think, our position in the market. Almost in that sense, we, we become totally independent and we look at the application. And we have, we're not going to pick a, uh, although we, we, we're hard and fast on solar kinetic and, and HVO, um, as other elements emerge, we will add them to, to our portfolio. Because um, it, you, you sit in front of those business leaders and I don't think I've met one that's not agreed that they are going to have to do it. And they want to do it. This is the thing. that As individuals, we now start to want to do it. This is a, this is a very, very public uh, 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 feeling now that's gathering uh, critical mass. But then because we're in this uh, transition to where we need to be and a lot of companies have, have used 2030 as a, as a big stand uh, as a big stake in the ground to uh, have reduc significant reductions so we, we talk about this problem often in the context of you know understanding the sort of the, the making a business case so you know upfront cost versus total life costs and changing the mindset around some of these things. I think most of the businesses are kind of there now with that, and something like Red Diesel changes the dynamics a bit, well, quite a lot on some of these, these calculations in the future. But what about things like supply chain um, certainty? You know, if I was at you tomorrow, right, I want to transform my fleet. I've decided money's not an object. I want to transform my fleet. How, the market can't deliver these products over the next 18 months, can they? You're gonna have, it's going to be a bit of a slowly... What's the, how does the critical mass play out in that, uh, in that side of things? That, that's, a, that's a really good point. And I think uh, th these products generally, and I speak not just for our own yeah. solar kinetic but other, other, yeah. other systems, they're expensive because we don't have, that, that, we don't have the volume. So they, yeah. they're, they're, there's a cost point. Um, and, and that's why I think that we have either straight solar or solar kinetic. That's one option. You can have both of those, either of those, then you can add some HVO into your fleet. You don't have to commit. You can commit in stages to, to these parts. And, and if you're working with a partner like yourselves, who's got all the experience in, in the world of the, of the old traditional technologies as well, you can help them to manage those things together. Because I guess one of the headaches that immediately presents is, oh, God, if I've got these, these prototype type things over here, there's five of them and there's five of those over there, yeah. and I've got this other here, suddenly you're just, your maintenance and, and management pro problems yeah. are all more complicated. So, uh, Shane, you said there a minute ago that if, if, this, if this ramped up really quickly... But it's not going to ramp up really quickly because we can't change. I mean, look at some of the sizes of some of the fleets of the people that I've, I've seen today. You know, people will replace 10, 10% of their fleet a year or 20% of their fleet. This, uh, you know, that's going to that's take probably too much. The introduction of emission zones, uh, and I think there needs to be some uh, more work, I think, as a collective to uh, to we're in the, we're in the assessment at the moment we have options that can clean clean people's act up straight away and relatively low cost hvo for example um that's a drop-in replacement that you don't need to change anything yeah. you don't need to invest in anything you can change that tomorrow and you can you can clean up and there's a small cost increase to what you would be paying normally so i'm not going to hold you to this although i am recording it and i'm going to put it out on the uh, internet um <laughs> What is a at what point will we will we at what point will be sat in this stage? What year will be sat on this stage talking about a mar, an industry that is 
fossil fuel free in its refrigeration? Do you think? I think 10 years minimum. Minimum 10 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think feels... 10 years minimum. Yeah, and, then, and, then, and even then, there'd be quite a lot of legacy stuff on the roads in that period. Yeah, and I think, look, you, you, you know, the, 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 that's the problem, it's the legacy stuff. You know, yeah. we could all produce new equipment uh, within, within three years. I think there'll be a lot of new equipment yeah. that, that comes out and answers a lot of this problem, but then you've got to integrate it into the, into the system. Yeah, 10 years is no time. You know, no, absolutely um, not. Um, and so, you know, the, the amounts of changes need to happen in order for that to happen in 10 years yeah. are significant. But the advantages and the opportunities are massive as well. Absolutely, they are. This is, refers back to the exciting time that this is. Yeah. 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 So just a sort of final thought, really, from your point of view. What's the sort of, what's top of the agenda for you guys going into the next six months, you know, through Christmas and beyond? How does, what's the world for Marshall? What sort of priorities, what's keeping you awake at night? And what are you most either excited about or worried about going into the into that short term so the excited is easy i'm excited about the change as each as each week goes by more people are coming in, on board to to get in their foot into renewable strategies and and that is exciting because we're looking at things in a fresh way we're re-looking at how some things have been done for an awful long time uh, the, the same way and everybody is is working together at that this as an industry uh, there's a how long have we got for the things that keep me awake at night um, just one, you know, keep it, keep, keep it business. No, I think, I think it is the, uh, the, the concern of keeping our, going back to our engineers, people. keeping them healthy, and they are out there. They are our business. You know, there's 250 engineers that we have working seven days a week, and we need them fit and healthy doing, uh, doing, doing what they do. So that's probably my... All about people. I think that's, uh, that really, really sets up. Um, yeah. Michael, thank you so much for that. Thank you for such a candid conversation. I really appreciate it. With an audience as well, and everyone stayed, no one heckled. Um, thank you all very much for taking part in the conversation. Hope you found it useful. We'll broadcast this afterwards. So thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. So that's an achievement for me. I can now say that I have interviewed Michael Kane. Are you proud of me? I didn't use any movie puns or any references to, to uh, Michael's alter ego. Um, throughout the course of that interview. I'm sure he's quite sick of people doing that. So um, um, I almost got away with going through the whole podcast without mentioning it, but I've now failed. Um, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, it's always fascinating to get leaders like Michael talking about some of the challenges as they see them, understanding their specific perspectives. There's always nuggets in there of things that um, that help us to think differently or understand some of those shared objectives we have around how we face into into the future and in the case of marshall's you know a business that can really help businesses to understand the steps involved in transitioning away from some of the technologies that we've relied on for the past generation and understanding how we can adapt and move into the future but as michael says it's going to be a, a slow and deliberate process it has to be well planned out and one of the crucial things we have to be thinking about in the next few years is how we manage mixed operations, how we adopt some of these new technologies, how we bring them into our fleets, how we understand how they, how they work, but we operate those alongside the traditional, uh, well-understood, well-reliable equipment that, that is the backbone of our operations. And how we manage those two things is probably one of the key thematics of the Culture and Federation's policy work. And... Um, if, you, if you're listening to this after the end of September 2021, then you'll be able to go on our website and read the Coltrane Federation's uh, report on the transition 
to or the road to net zero uh, or diesel free temperature refrigeration. Check that, check that report out. It's a really good piece of work that brings together a lot of the collective thinking of our industry and really talk, sets out some challenges both for the industry but also for government around how it supports industry through that transition. As ever, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to the Cold Chain Podcast. Listen out for more content and don't forget, go on your audio uh, podcast platform and click that subscribe button. Thanks a lot and stay safe.